Well, in case you, uh, in, in case there's somebody that's completely shut off from social media, you probably have heard the word that I was elected bishop of our diocese on Saturday morning. And so, <laughs> thank you, thank you, and um, and so that's. That's the new news that we, we just received, and it is beginning to sink in. I am so grateful to a couple of members of our congregation who, in their attempt to help me become sort of like assimilated to the idea that I've been elected bishop, bishop-elect at this point, because I won't be consecrated till August, but they, uh, they found the, the way of doing it by, by literally having my house throw up purple, so there's... <laughs> purple wind pinwheels in my front yard and there are purple balloons in my closets and in my bathroom and, uh, and purple streamers everywhere. And so anyway, uh, see me afterwards if you want to know who that is. But so thankful for them and uh, just beginning to get used to this idea and um, trying to wrap my head around what it means to not just to say you will be the bishop, but to actually do the work of being the bishop. So I do uh, thank you for all your prayers. It has been a long year of discernment. Um, and I, just to say, I, this is something that Jody and I have felt called to for quite a while now. But you can't say that, right? You, you can't say, I think I'm called to be the bishop, right? You, you have to let that come to you. And so it's been a real strange period of saying, Lord, I think you're shaping me for this. I think you're calling me to do this, but, but your will be done. And so we've continued to walk in that over the last year. I'm so thankful for Jody because she's had to have lots of conversations with me. And now we learn how to lead. There's lots of time to, for us to figure things out. There, I know there are lots of questions and sort of what the transition will look like between now and the consecration on August 27th. And so we have time. Not, not, I know time is never as much as you think you have, but, but we do have some months to figure this stuff out. And you'll get to hear from our senior warden, Ramona Chance, at the, at the announcements to give you a little more time to process it and a little more information. But I want to tell you that when I'm ever in a situation in my life where I'm a little bit overwhelmed with what the Lord seems to be calling me to and how I'm going to perform the, the office, as I was 20 years ago when I accepted the call to be a rector at St. Michael's Episcopal Church, I turned to Scripture. And so often, as a matter of fact, always when I turn to Scripture, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God speaks into the situation that I find myself. And, and that's not manipulative. That's not sort of twisting scripture to say what you want it to say. But, but I find comfort and solace in it. And God's word, which is living and active, as Paul says, is always ready to respond and to bring peace and guidance to us. And so I just want to remind you of the scriptures that well before any of this bishop stuff came up, well before all that, these scriptures were already lined up to be the readings for this Sunday in, in our church and throughout the diocese. The first lesson is from Leviticus 19. And it's this amazing passage that I hope you'll go back to and read again and again and, and, and know in your mind. It is this amazing ethical standard of what it means to be a follower of God. What God's people are supposed to be characterized by. 
And, and it starts off by saying, you are to be holy as your God is holy. And that word holy means to be set apart. But what do we set apart? Not just simply to be weird and, and different and, and not associated. It doesn't mean to be not associating with people that aren't God's people. What it means is that we'll be unique in how we love. This is where Jesus, when Jesus is asked, you know, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus says, and love your neighbor as yourself, he is grabbing the scripture that's in his mind and heart from Leviticus 19, and he's reminding the people of Leviticus 19 that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, that we are to will and to do the best for other people. To will and to do the best, to have the will to, to want the best for other people, and then to actually do what you can to bring about that in the person's life. And that's the basis of, of this ethical system the Lord gives us, that we, are to, that we are to be about loving and serving other people. And he gives us a list in Leviticus 19 that tells us we're all sorts of things. He says that we're to care for the poor, that we're to not show favoritism to the rich or to the, the poor, that we're to take care of those who work for us and not take advantage and manipulate them and use and abuse them even because we are the boss and they are the workers. And it goes on. We're to value those among us who have disabilities. And we're to, on and on it goes and talks about not, not bringing false justice into the courts, not, not hating and despising our neighbors, and on and on it goes, spelling out in very concrete details what it means to love one another. It means to do these things, to will and to do the best for other people. And so we look back to Leviticus 19 and we see that's, that's what we're called to do. Whatever our job, whatever our station, whatever our position, whatever our role in the church and in the world, that is to be the commanding purpose for us to obviously love God with heart, soul, and mind, but to demonstrate that through loving our neighbors, to be challenged by that over and over again. And when we fall short on that, when we realize that we can't do that, or we, where we have to come in here on Sunday mornings and confess that we've done a poor job of doing that, then we bow down and we confess it and say, Lord, I have done a horrible job doing this. Forgive me and help me to do better. And through Jesus Christ, we can do better. Then I want to point to you to the Revelation passage, Revelation 19 which is this amazing, glorious future vision of God's church. And John, the apostle, is on an island, totally separated from, from everybody else. And he's, he has this vision of heaven, and it's, it's these 24 elders and, and these angels surrounding the throne of God, and King Jesus is, in, is reigning, and he is ruler of all. He has caused justice to come upon the earth. He is just, justly judged and condemned his enemies and our enemies and they're put away and it is his bride it's a metaphor of the church being like the bride of Christ this afternoon a couple young couple that I'd got to do premarital counseling for are going to get married down in Tampa and and the beautiful bride will come walking down to her groom and Haley will walk to Seaver and the two will be united. And, and so John has this vision of the church being like the bride presented to Jesus, the bridegroom, in beautiful linen. 
And the linen is the, the righteous acts of the saints. It's the things we've done that have demonstrated our love for one another in the world. And as we come to the bridegroom, we're received and he is there with us. We keep our eyes on the past, what God has always called his people to do. And we keep our eyes to the future of this end when all things will be made new and God will right every wrong and he'll dry every tear and the work will be done. And then in the middle, this morning we're given this amazing summary that we actually say on Monday, Thursday. And you know, if you, if you don't know this, we consider Monday, Thursday to be our feast day in this parish because we are the servants of Christ. And, and that is where Jesus demonstrates his servant ministry, right? He, he kneels down and he washes the feet of his disciples. And, and so not it, this, that same chapter, chapter 13 of John, we get this passage, but just this little bit of a summary that Jesus gives us. And it's just a few verses there. But it's, it's, it's important that it's going to be something that Jesus is going to unpack over the next four chapters. 14, 15, 16, 17. He's going to talk about the things that he mentions here to us. He talks about glory. He talks about departure. And he talks about a command. Glory. To glory is to manifest God's worthiness his worthiness to be praised, for God to be shown for who he is and, and manifest that he is worthy for all of our worship and praise and that he deserves all the glory we can possibly give him. That's what our psalm this morning pointed us to, by the way. And that idea of, of glory runs throughout our scriptures this morning. It is always about bringing glory to God. This morning, my sermon for you, if I had not been elected, was... I can bring glory to God how I accept that I've not been elected bishop for his glory. And it has to be the same if I'm elected bishop. Because it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about his glory, his reputation in the world. And let's be honest, there are a lot of people who aren't here this morning, who are repelled by church and Christianity because they don't see the glory of God because of where we as Christians fall down and where we fail to love one another. But it's all about his glory. And so where does Jesus begin? He begins by talking about the glory of the Father and the Father being glorified in the Son. And, and, it, and John's way of talking is a little poetic and a little Greek philosopher, so it's a little complicated. But, but basically saying that everything Jesus is doing is trying to bring glory to his Father. And he knows that what the Father is doing is bringing glory to the Son. And all of this is going to culminate in Jesus going to the cross. And demonstrating this new revelation of what the love of God is. God's willingness to come into our world, to become human, and to die upon the cross for the sins of our, the world. And then the power of God to raise Jesus from the dead. That is the glory of God. That is, his, that is manifesting his worthiness to be praised and to be lifted up above all things. We get in trouble when we ever glorify in anything besides the Lord because when we do that, we put that thing at the center of our lives and it becomes for us an idol, a false God. 
and false gods fail us over and over again. So it's about the glory that Jesus talks. Secondly, he talks about his departure. He is going to the cross. He is about to face death. And then we know that after his death, he'll be raised. And then he'll be on the earth for maybe 50 days or so. And then he'll be ascending back to the Father. So Jesus is saying it's going to be different between us. But then he goes on to say, and he'll say this really emphatically in chapter 17. But you have to stay because you have a work to do. And your work is to bring glory to my name, Jesus says. You stay behind. Why, do, why, why when we're saved, why when God reveals himself, does he not instantly just snap us and take us up to heaven? Because he wants us to remain in the world that we could bring glory to him. By we talk about how he's changed us, what he's done in our lives. And, that, and we could talk about his praiseworthiness and glory and and, and we could make him known to other people. And that, that is the reason that we're, we're called to stay. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to go away, but you're going to know me in a different way. I'm going to be known through my spirit, but, but you're going to stay so that you can bring glory. And then he comes to this third piece, which is this new command that he gives us. And we all know it. Love one another. And it's always interesting. Like, okay, love my neighbor and then love one another. What's the difference between the two? Well, the difference is because we have become Jesus' disciples, we've had the revelation that he, in fact, is redefining love. Love is not simply just willing and doing the best for another person, but it's the willingness to actually lay your life down for the other person. And the reason why Jesus says it's a new commandment, because this revelation that love is laying one's life down for another is new. Because before that, they didn't understand it. They kind of could see it in Isaiah 52 and 53, the suffering servant, but they didn't fully understand it. But now John, the the, the disciple, is going to say that this is love, that God laid down his life for us. And so Jesus says, this is the commandment, that you love one another, that you learn to be a sacrificial community, giving sacrificially to one another, even being willing to put your life down for another person. Which I know for a lot of us seems like craziness. But throughout history, Christians have been willing to do that. There was, in the Holocaust, there was... There was a, a Catholic priest, his name was Colby, and he, he literally took the place of another prisoner who was about to be executed as an act of love and sacrifice to the Lord. Our own Ethan Stonerook ran out into traffic one day when, when Aiden Kirby got loose from his family and, and ran out in the street, and Ethan literally ran into the street and dove on, on, on Aiden to save him, and put his own life in danger. Here is a guy with four little kids and a wife. This is the love that we can know because Christ, who's loved us and been willing to lay his life down for us, is demonstrated to us. And so Jesus says, this this is my command, my new command, that you love one another 
that you make my glory known by how you love each other. He helps us to understand what it means to truly love our, love one another and to bring that. We bring glory to God. We make known his worthiness of all praise, principally in how we love each other. How we love our neighbors, but even more specifically, how we love one another. Because we understand this redefinition of love, the willingness to sacrifice ourselves. And then together, we love those who are outside the community. Those who don't know the truth of the, this new definition of love. We demonstrate to them by loving one another and then reaching out together to love them. You can say, people just need Jesus. Well, they do, right? And you hear that a lot of times, kind of a popular theme in popular Christianity. But the reality is that the work that Jesus is calling us in John 13 to is to realize that it's how we love each other in front of the world that will make Jesus known to them. And we just want to share Jesus, get them in, and then move on, right? Go on with our lives. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. What, did, what does Jesus say at the last verse? He says in verse 25, he says, By this will people know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. They'll know that you're my followers. You'll, you'll be those who point to me by how you love one another. Well, how do we do this? We worship together. It is vital that we come together. Because if we're going to learn to love each other sacrificially in such a way that the world will take notice, then we're going to need to spend some time together in worship, okay? Because it's as we understand who God is, as we, as we really come to know him experientially, we will understand his love and we'll be willing to love out of that. As I really understand what Christ has given to me, it, makes, it, it allows me to give myself away because God has given himself for me. We have to learn to worship together. We have to prioritize worshiping together. As we learn to worship and know him in the community, his love is made manifest and we become more empowered to go out and serve him together. Secondly, we have to practice. I have three siblings. I'm thankful for my siblings. I always say that siblings teach us to be socialized creatures, right? And, you, and they learn it the hard way by getting beat up or you beating, getting beat up or, you know, saying the wrong thing and seeing the consequences, which is why I feel sorry for only children because I don't know who, you, who socializes you, where you learn these lessons from. But, but in the body of Christ, even if you're an only child, listen, you've been given the body of Christ, you've been given brothers and sisters so you can learn how to love each other. And it's like the velveteen rabbit. Sometimes it gets pretty painful and a lot of your fur gets rubbed off. But it's in the body that we practice. We practice keeping short accounts. 
you know what? That was mean. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. We keep short accounts. We have charitable assumptions. I, I don't think you meant to hurt my feelings when you said that. We practice on our siblings. We learn to love each other. And in so doing, the Lord begins to teach us how to truly love those that are outside the family. And then we extend grace. It's out of the love you've experienced in your community, within the body of Christ, learning to love one another that, that, gives, that truly does give us the, 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 the power and the will and the, and the joy in reaching out and loving other people. The reason why Jody and I could come to, to Gainesville 20 years ago and take over St. Michael's and, and, and lead to this place where we are today is because we were richly loved by the parish that, that raised us up. Jody and I, as young 20-somethings, experienced an amazing, gracious love at All Souls in Jacksonville. And they loved on us well. And they were gracious to us. And we knew it. And they sacrificed to us. I could, I, could go, I could go down a list. I could, I could give you 10 things right now. One time when we had little kids and we were just at the wits end, they actually came in and took all of our laundry and, and went home and washed all of our laundry and brought it back folded. Now that's tangible love, people. We were loved well. And so when we showed up here in 2002, it was out of this, we had seen disciples of Jesus and we understood what love looked like. And so because we had seen that, we came to love you guys. And now, because you have loved us well, and you have learned to demonstrate that love, we are being called now to, to love other congregations. You are being called as a parish to walk through this transition. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's going to be awkward at times. It may be hard at times. You don't have to worry about things because Alex takes care of them. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to be here, right? There's going to be a transition period. You've got a great team, but you're gonna have, it's going to be awkward at times. But I want you to remember that you're doing it because you're demonstrating a sacrificial love. You're learning to love one another. And so your cost, your sacrifice, means that we can then go and bless other congregations in this diocese. And in so doing, you're loving one another. So thank you for your willingness to release us. I have felt from the minute you began to know and we began to say to the congregation, we, we're, we've been nominated, I've been nominated, and we've been nominated sort of like, you know, when you're pregnant back in the 90s, we're pregnant. You didn't say, I'm pregnant. I, I'm the bishop. Jody's not the co-bishop or anything, but you'd understand. She, <laughs> Jody said thank you if you didn't hear that. But... But instantly, overwhelmingly, you guys did not say, oh, no. You said, oh, we knew this was going to happen. <laughs> we, 
we, we knew this was like, you know, we knew. When Neil said he was retiring, we knew. And, um, and, and that was such a blessing because, again, you, it's, a, it's a demonstration of willingness to, to sacrifice and to give up for what God's doing. I, what, what we saw and learned and grew in in all souls and then what we've seen and learned and grew up in here at Servants, we, we think that's what we want. God's calling me to bless the, the bishop, through the bishop role, to, to bless other congregations and to go and to, and to be a demonstration of his love to them. But we go with, with all of you in our hearts and all the saints that I've had the privilege to usher into eternity. Tim Austin being the latest this this week. And, and I want you to know, and again, this is not my last sermon or anything, but it is such a profound privilege to be your pastor. You have been a blessing. You have not been contentious or cantankerous or most of the time irritable or cranky you 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 really get it that we're called to love others and some some sense I'm I'm preaching to the choir but but just the, my my last word in this sermon to you today is keep giving keep investing keep loving one another if you stop because i leave then i failed so keep loving and, and be willing to walk through this transition for God's purpose in the greater church. But know that we, we go with you and your love in our hearts. So thankful. Let, let the world know that we're his disciples by how we love each other. You're doing it. Keep doing it. Love one another through this transition. And I know the Lord has new things for this parish. And we'll get there. You'll get there. But we cannot forget the past. What we're called to do. And we cannot forget our future. As God continues to bless and perfect his bride. To be received by the bridegroom. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.